Welcome to Sideline Judgment. My name is Sergio. My name is Tyler. And today, Tyler, we are going deep into the 2020 Florida Gators football season. That's right, Tyler. It is the postmortem. We are finally going to talk about the Cotton Bowl. Finally. Yeah, we can't avoid it for too long. Weeks later, we're going to talk about the Cotton Bowl, and we're just going to go through what we thought about the season, how we're going to remember the season, what we have to look forward to in the next season, if there's going to be spring football, all of that stuff. Um, But it's basically just the nail in the coffin for the 2020 season. You got to end something before you can start moving on to the next. So that's what we're going to do today. Yeah. Um, We are also then going to talk a little bit about some NFL stuff. Uh, We're going to talk about the Gator prospects in the draft just briefly as an introduction. Um, Talk about the combine and all the changes. And I think we should end with some Deshaun Watson talk because there's a lot going on there. That's our boy. That's that is why. our boy. Could potentially be one of our boys in the NFL yet again. Oh boy, here we go. Um, but we will get to that later. But Tyler, <laughs> we begin. We begin with quick hits, and we begin with the most. If college football news could be like a targeted ad, this would be the targeted ad for me. <laughs> and it's and it's Jeremy Pruitt getting not relieved of his duties, not parting ways. He was straight up. Fired. Fired with cause, no less. With cause, which means no buyout money from the University of Tennessee a mere five months after being handed a contract extension. So so everybody, <laughs> we're we're doing our end of the season awards next week. I will go ahead and uh the um I told you so award goes to Sergio de la Sprea, um, Thank you for twenty twenty because he he told you this is gonna happen. Well, I did. Okay. He told you that Jerry Pruitt we we basically are saying that Jerry Pruitt was bad, which meant that he should get fired. Correct. Now, how this played out, I don't think any of us could have predicted. This is so. So I just watched Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone with my okay. sister, and you know the scene where they're playing chess. They have to get to like the last room, and they're playing yeah. like actual wizard chess where the pieces like destroy like, themselves. Yeah, I always wanted to do that one day. This is essentially what Tennessee is doing, but to itself. So they <laughs> self-reported. They, they didn't self-report violations. They hired an independent firm, lawyers, to come in towards the end of the season to investigate potential, you know, I've never understood droppings. the whole internal report thing or internal investigation thing. I'm like, if you're hiring them to find out if you did something wrong, how does that make sense? Like, Let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you why, Tyler. And the only way that it can make some actual sense is if Tennessee hoodies up. Third, third eye, eye activated. open. Third eye activated. Is if Tennessee is trying to get caught with these allegations so they can get out of paying Jeremy Pruitt's buyout. Now, this is something that we've seen once before in college football with Kansas before Les Miles, um, before that whole regime in Kansas because of lack of performance and all this stuff, and they just wanted to get out of the contract. Tennessee wouldn't be in this situation if they just didn't give Jeremy Pruitt an extension at the beginning of the season. You know, like yeah. after I two mean, years, you played yourself. You played yourself, yeah. And and now they're going through this. Essentially, we're we're getting 2017 all over again because Phil Fulmer, the athletic director, quote unquote retired, which we all know is kind of some code for we got to get this man out of here. But he won us a national championship in 1998, so we're going to be a little bit nice about it. Yeah, basically, uh, that's what that, that is. is what happened. And so they're both gone. So now Tennessee is in a situation where. Tyler, it is currently January 20th, and Tennessee is without 
an athletic director, or a head coach. So they're essentially either forced to name someone on the inside to kind of shepherd the situation until they find an AD and a permanent head coach, or they have to rush an AD hire and rush a head coaching hire, which as we saw in 2017, when this happened again previously, didn't really go so well for them. I mean, you had two, three years ago. Yes, it's three years ago. Three years ago. Three. You had... Greg Schiano and Mike Leach at least agreeing to take the job. You interviewed a bunch of other people, but Correct. like, so who knows about? But you had you had them both. Both of them, I think, would have done better than what agreed because you hired Baldwin Muschamp. You did. You, you, you hired Baldwin Muschamp, and and I you, think that's an insult a, to Will Muschamp. Yeah, well, you hired a defensive coordinator that didn't want to be that with that you called the head coach. Correct. Um, and then just said, hey, Jared Garantano, of all people, bail us out of this. <laughs> like, um, and this is, this is, Tennessee continues, continues year after year to shoot themselves in the foot to the point right. that Tennessee and Nebraska are so similar to each other in the sense of like, they have so much history and it's really not that long ago. It's only like 20-ish years ago. Mm-hmm. It's not like last time Michigan, okay, Michigan won a national championship in the 90s, but the last time Michigan was really, really, really good, like consistently was in like, the 70s yeah that's like a different era i mean tennessee won a national championship at 1990 like seven eight or 98 sorry 97 was the michigan title yeah yeah you're right you're right sorry i just did a whole project on college football (laughs) i always get the years one off in that that thing that that was as, as close as less than 25 years ago yeah i would still consider that the modern era of college football i would as well and tennessee tennessee is south carolina right now I think I think more so than anything. I think I think Tennessee the more the, the better equivalent is Tennessee's the New York Jets. They're getting in their own way. Yeah. Like they're it's not like there are outside forces that are preventing them from doing things. If you uh, I was doing some research after um you know, after this happened of like okay, how attractive is Tennessee as a job because it still is arguably arguably the third best job in the SEC East. You could make a run every two, three years to make it to Atlanta, and you could be your top twenty-five. Essentially, you're, you could you, you can max out currently as like a top twenty-five school, but you can get up there and you can build a program there. Yeah. They have the most expensive facilities in the SEC, which is saying something because we're talking about Alabama facilities, Georgia yeah. facilities, Florida. We just built a, a brand new thing; it should be coming up next season or the year after. There's a lot of money being thrown at that. They have, I don't know, they just built brand new fields. They have a bunch of recruiting. They think the highest recruiting budget in the country, I believe. They have one, which, of, they have one of the biggest stadiums. Which clearly they have they have stock in McDonald's Corporation, apparently. Apparently. So, there's so many things that they have. Why isn't it working? Why isn't it why isn't it successful? You know? See, see the only thing, you know, you talk about the McDonald's thing, it's like now your then your money starts to smell like McDonald's. <laughs> Like, is Here's, that what you want? Listen, like, listen, I kind of, not to be bougie, but I, I think if you're going to drop me a bag, at least put it in like a Shake Shack bag. <laughs> at least, you know, like you give me a McDonald's bag. I can get a McDonald's bag on any corner of the street. Shake Shack, at least I have to Google, is there a Shake Shack nearby? You know what I mean? You, yeah. Give me some, give me a five guys. Give me a five guys. Give me, give me, give me so, cash. So when they say extra, the yeah, bag. when they say extra fries, you know, because five guys always puts extra fries. You, yeah. It's not. 
it's extra mm. fries, but it's it's a little bit extra than that. Come on, exactly. Tennessee. Listen, um, I said this. I said this in our um, they they cheated recruiting chat. real quick. Sorry, they cheated recruiting and they still sucked at it. Continue. Go yeah, ahead. like no, and that's the point where I said in the fantasy football group chat, I was like, listen, Tennessee's dropping off like McDonald's bags full of cash while Georgia is giving you just actual Chick Fil A. And they're just like, hey, give me the routing number and the account number, and I'll direct deposit you later on. Like they're yeah. they're doing things in a smarter way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I totally, I, I, I Tennessee, like Tennessee. And here's the I, thing: I as much as as much as we, you know, Tennessee can down, be good. They but, can. There's a well, there's a blueprint. There's now, the facilities. Tennessee's in a situation right now. Like Tennessee, when I say Tennessee's like South Carolina, I mean it in this way: South Carolina. I feel like has the blueprint that Tennessee has regressed to this point. Now mm-hmm. they have the blueprint. Like they could become a serious contending program year and after year in the SEC. But what would now it used to be like with Florida and Georgia, all, all that matters is you get your own crap together. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what other people would do, but Florida, Georgia, if you want to contend, just get your own crap together. And then, Oh, suddenly now you're, you're a contender. Like, cause right. that's the type of program they are. Tennessee's not like that anymore to me. Tennessee, Tennessee can get to that point, but they're going to need Florida or Georgia to have go down. But, so but they, here's the so thing: they, so they can get in there, then they can establish themselves. So you, you have left, and a lot of college football play. A lot of college football programs are like this, but Tennessee didn't used to be like this. You have now left factors upon the cap of your program. You have left them to other people to control. Right. That, it's the that is aspect. not a place that Tennessee is used to being, and that's where they are now. Like. Right. You, you have left your ceiling. You've outsourced construction of your ceiling to other programs. It's it's like when you don't work out for a long time and your muscles go into atrophy. It's essentially what's happened where Tennessee's like cap was at like, let's say a 90. Yeah. And now because they've been so static and have been shooting themselves in both of their feet for the past, you know, probably since Phil Fulmer left in 07, 08, since they've been shooting themselves in the foot that long their cap has gone from a 90 to like an 80. And the difference there in the college football, especially with all the money being thrown in this past decade, especially with programs, you know, in their very recruiting footprint, like not even the SEC, but you have Clemson nearby. Yeah. North Carolina is taking a step forward in their recruiting. Ohio State State has gone more national. Exactly. Ohio State's more national. App State in the Sun Belt. It has quickly become the Boise State east east of the Rockies. And it's a thing where... That's something where they could once in a while steal maybe a four-star recruit. And it's like, oh my gosh, they got this great guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's different factors and people to take take into account. So if Tennessee doesn't get it together, if Tennessee doesn't really, you know, think about this, um think about this hire and think about the impact that this hire could have, they could really spiral down into dare I say, they could end up in Kentucky territory where they have a fantastic coach in Mark Stoops and they cap out at eight and five. He wins. You yeah. know what I mean? Maybe maybe a generational year of ten and 11, ten or eleven wins with Benny Snell. Yeah. You know, I, a couple things. That yeah. I gotta, I'm, a couple more things I got to say about this. One, my general thing that just always re- to remind people of: cheat better. Like just cheat better. <laughs> like I, yeah. there's nothing. I I don't actually have any moral issue whatsoever with what jeremy pruitt and tennessee like did as far as recruiting because that's but that's also like we are a pay the players podcast like we exactly we like that that's a deeper so conversation that's where... and we're not going to get into that today but it's mm-hmm. a matter of like so i don't really so because of that i 
if that's the cheating you're doing, if everyone's cheating that way. Every yeah. single person, no one in the country is not cheating in some capacity. Correct. Cheat Correct. better. Um, yep. One. Two, this, everything that's happened in Tennessee, I got to be honest, has really put into context to me how absolutely special of players Josh Dobbs and Alvin Kamara were. Yeah. And like, yes. obviously everybody knows that Alvin Kamara for the NFL level, but Josh Dobbs was a phenomenal college quarterback. Yes. Who, you know, we joked about and, you know, had, and had his limitations and he is what he is. But you look at Tennessee with and without Josh Dobbs, I don't think it has anything to do with Butch Jones. I think, and you see this in a lot of places, sometimes like special players come into a program and they change things about programs. Like Josh mm-hmm. Dobbs was that for Tennessee. They've, they had one seven win season since he's left. Yeah. They went three and seven this season. We made fun of them for having the same record as Rutgers. A worse Sorry, record. a worse record because they lost one more game. Thank you very much. Um, also, Jeremy Pruitt lost two straight games to Vanderbilt. Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, you can't do that. Tennessee as a whole, I think, is like, I think over the past seven years, they're three and four against Vandy. Yeah, you can't and do that. And that's just, that's that's unacceptable. Like, yeah, that's, you, you can't be doing that at all. That to me that. is, that to me is rock bottom for Tennessee. The fact that they're like three and four in the past it's seven not, years against yeah, Vandy. I mean, okay. Vandy will pull an upset every once in a while. That's the way it goes. Sure. Because right. that's football. Mm-hmm. But three out of four is not – you don't accidentally win three out of four games. Correct. You know? Correct. You can accidentally win one out of four. Yeah. You, do, and I, you don't accidentally win three out of four and three in a row at one point. Yeah, and I, I Kyle, think that's – Kyle an, Shermer won three he, – he lost his freshman year, and then he won the next three years he played Tennessee. I he's, think that's as much to say – He's a Vanderbilt quarterback that has a, is a winning record against Tennessee. Yeah. I think that's as much to say about Derek Mason, but it also has a big – it's a big deal to so, say that Derek Mason was able to take those players up against the highly recruited yeah. players of Tennessee and stuff. So listen, yeah. last thing on Tennessee before we move on, what do you want to see them do next? Kevin Steele is in that building. I've I heard think rumors. he's going to be the do interim. They elevate him. Right. Do they elevate him? Is what, what's going on? I think he's going to be the interim. Cause I mean, we joked when they hired him. It's just like, he's going to start a coup and look what happened. Um, I want to clarify. I don't, that. I don't, I don't, I don't think, he... think that Kevin Steele meant for this to happen, but no, it's no, 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 funny. He, at hoodies up, third eye activated. I don't think Kevin Steele initiated this coup. I think he was brought on to finish the for coup. this reason. Yes, <laughs> like, I have a feeling because they were like, "We're gonna have a hiring freeze," and like a week later, they were like, "Except for Kevin Steele, he's yeah. gonna come on board, and we're not gonna give him a title as like whatever because just wait another week and this yeah. will happen." I mean, so. I think you would because you don't have an AD yet, so I no. think that you would just keep kevin Steele for right now as the interim and honestly just go through a year with it do an add order on year i wouldn't um, mind it I, I i don't think i mean, i don't think you have anything to lose from that but then you spend the whole time doing new coaches um if they want to win quickly they should hire hugh freeze um but that will not fix their ceiling that will not fix mm-hmm. their program right. you hire you hire hugh freeze to get you five great years of football it will not right. last longer than that yeah. Um. Because we've seen what Hugh Freeze does. He sells his soul. Like, if, if you hire him, you're going to sell your soul as a program, and that can be fine. Like, hey, at least at least they'll cheat better with Hugh Freeze. You, yeah. I mean, they everyone will know, like, have an eye on them in regards to cheating. They'll still do it better. Um, yeah. yeah. But I mean, and I'm all for you know, I, in the NFL, it's more so than in college. But like, I'm all for maximizing your winning window. So, mm-hmm. Um. So like, Hugh Freeze will get you a window. He's not going to stay there for very long. Right. But that's what everyone's going to point to. I don't think you should go that. I don't think Matt Campbell would take that job. 
Billy Napier might take that job, but Mm -hmm. you know, what if Ed Orgeron doesn't impress again and LSU comes open? What I think, I think that's the job that Napier is going after. I think we we talk a lot about which job is he holding out for because he's now been offered what three SEC jobs and he's turned them down. Um, So it may be Auburn was the best one. Uh, the only one, the only ones that are going to come home, but the only one that could possibly even come open. Any, there's only two that could possibly come open, in my opinion, anytime soon mm-hmm. that are better than Auburn, Florida, if Dan Mullen leads the NFL and LSU, if Ed Orton gets fired. And I think LSU, he would need, it would need to be bad, bad. Like, like this yeah. past year was bad. It would need to be like horrendous yeah, like, like, for him to go. I still have a hard time believing he would get fired. I don't think he's in the hot seat yet. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like, if he has another year like this year where they are so clearly not good. Um, right, but then you talk about maximizing windows. Then does Billy Napier miss his window in terms of being the hot yeah, coach? Yeah, well, that's yeah. and so so I'm not saying if if Billy Napier gets offered the job, I'm not sure what he should do because okay. it is an SEC job and a job that we just said if things go right, you could win at. And Billy Napier is a fantastic recruiter. Yes, he, he learned under Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban as far as the program built with the department. I think he's built for an SEC program. I think if there's any coach to kind, of, if there's any coach that isn't already coaching one of the quote-unquote big boy programs that could get to the level of a Dabo and a Nick Saban, I think it's Billy Napier. I think it's like in time, obviously, in a lot of time, but I think yeah. he could get there in that sense. So uh, This is my dream candidate, uh, Tennessee, tired Todd Grantham. Tennessee, I will I will sing Rocky Top every week on this podcast if you hire Todd Grantham. I, I will. I really will on. do it. Moving on. Um, oh, but last one. Guy with ties to Tennessee, Jamie Chadwell, possible coastal coach. I I just that would be they would have we would have to have another good year, which is very possible. Have mm-hmm. to have another good year, and uh, then be not want to keep Kevin Steele after the interim if that's the case. Okay. Because then I don't think he's getting hired this off season. He's had okay. one good year. It was great, but again, we did this with Scott Frost. We did. He had an absolutely fantastic second year in that program. And like I, I too was just like I thought it was gonna work out. And it's not working out so far. I'm not willing to say he's a bust because Nebraska's in a very Tennessee like tough situation that they're in Correct. right now. Correct. But we all thought it was a slam dunk because we fell in love with one year. We yeah. do this all the time. And I don't want to do it again with Jamie Chadwell. Mm-hmm. Like because I, I I I want better for him. And like Billy Napier at Louisiana, I feel way more comfortable because he has had multiple seasons of ten wins now. Like mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he probably will have another one. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. A couple other things in quick hits. Chris Olave, the star wide receiver for the Ohio State Buckeyes, is coming back for a final season. This was a bit of a shock for us. I'm very shocked. I'm very excited, though. I, mm-hmm. I'm i excited to see this. I yeah, don't, okay. I, I say I, that I would yeah. really like Chris Olave on my professional football yeah, team. Yeah, I, I, that like, was my thing where I was like, man, like, I was I was looking at maybe we could trade three and get to the back half of the but, first and kind of sneak him away. Yeah, like, but, yeah, I mean, sneak peek to next week, just off the cuff, like the um, Devontae Smith bring me my money award. Yeah, Chris Olave is a runner up is the is the front runner to win that award next season. Yeah, like he is. Like he is. Chris Chris Olave saw what Devontae Smith did this season. He's like. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. And they're and they're going to have Garrett Wilson, and they had a lot of young guys this year that are going to step up. And mm-hmm. this also gives you a little bit of insight to the fact that I think Chris Olave would not return to Ohio State if he didn't think they would be good next year. And if he didn't think that there wasn't going to be a good quarterback to throw him the football. 
Yeah. And so I'm liking what this means for the Buckeyes in the future. Like, it it provides you a little insight at least how the people in that building feel about their team next year. Correct. And he's not the only Buckeye to come back. He's just the highest profile one. Exactly. Probably the highest profile. He's probably the highest profile player this season to decide to come back. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it it was a shock. interesting. He was a he was if not a late first rounder. Oh yeah, a, he was he was sure second early. round at the latest. I told like, you he has he had pick thirty three written all over him, pick thirty three all over. So, yeah. all right, and then breaking news, I guess as of like an hour of us recording yeah. here on Wednesday night, Larry Scott and the Pac twelve have agreed to go part ways. They he will finish his his uh, tenure on June thirtieth. And the Pac-12 has immediately started a nationwide search for their next commissioner. Can you hear the people sing? (laughs) I was going to say, song of angry men. Us college football (laughs) fans are rejoicing because, oh boy, God, all right, I'll do the job. I'll tell do the, the job. people tell the people why we didn't like Larry Scott as the Pac-12 commissioner because he he did nothing ever that was in the interest of his conference. Mm -hmm. Which, well, that's that's my that's the reason I don't like him. (laughs) Right. Because it is your job as your conference commissioner. And again, I don't have a problem with conference commissioners do this. It's literally their job. Their literal job is to be the leader of their conference, which means, guess what? You're doing what's best for your conference. Mm-hmm. What did Larry Scott continually do? He put Oregon on a Friday night, weeknight game in front of everyone on the road at Arizona State when Oregon was a front runner to go to the playoff. He cost he cost And they lost that game. He consistently he, puts the yes. best teams that they don't do favors for their best teams in their conference. Which you know that sounds like a really terrible thing for us to endorse because like, oh you're mm-hmm. doing favors to the best teams in your conference. Like when you're the Pac twelve in the situation that the Pac twelve is in, you need to like you need to make it easier on yourself man like yeah. everyone doesn't like i mean i we love you here i love you pac-12 i love watching you we but are no, in the national we are a pac-12 perspective pro, a pro pac-12 podcast in the college football playoff perspective the perspective you need to be in the conversation you need to be in no one takes you seriously right now no one's taking you seriously yeah. since oregon and they were i mean i was even hesitant on that no one's taking you really seriously till since washington in 2016 a team that didn't even get past midfield against alabama in the playoff don't get me riled up. Okay, that's incorrect. Um, it is. Uh, it's true. We can look it up. And I did this last time on the pod, and they, I was right. They, they crossed midfield on their first drive when they scored and had a lead against Alabama. So you're you're incorrect. Anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> that was the only points they scored. But I feel it, it doesn't matter. Um, Listen, the Pac-12 the, needs to start tr- think needs to start acting the way the Big 12 did this coronavirus season. In terms of we're going to find a way to do everything we can to get Ohio State in the mix. That's what yeah. the Pac-12 needs to do. And Larry Scott just guess wouldn't what? do that. They got a crap ton of money from that. Yes. And and guess what? The season's over now. No one's crying about how Ohio State didn't belong in there. Right. Not a single – mostly because they won a game. But, like, mm-hmm. we all kind of knew they were capable of winning a game. And now guess what? No one cares. And they got all the money and they got all the exposure. And now the recruits are being like, oh, they play in the national championship and we're coming back. Let's run it all back one more time. With and now Chris hey, is guess, hey, guess what? You have USC in your conference. Just new new commissioner. If you don't get USC to fire Clay Helton, I sw- I'm going to come to LA and mess you up personally. Like, <laughs> don't think I won't. <laughs> like, oh, boy. Well, we just wanted to mention that because it is very, very important in terms of the landscape of college football. Yeah, so. yeah. So, it, I mean, it really, the most important thing is that, like, Larry Scott's out. I think net positive for, for the Pac 12. Agreed. This does depend on who they hire. Yes. Like, because whoever they hire, put a wall up. You you need to put a wall on the Rockies. Mm-hmm. 
Like, you need to stop Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama from getting the best players in California out. And you can't stop it all, but, like, Bryce Young, best quarterback in California. Where'd he go? He went to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, DJ Uyunglele, one of the best quarterbacks in California. Clemson. CJ Stroud. He's going to be the quarterback for Ohio State next year. Guess what state he came from? <laughs> I'm going to California. I'm gonna, I was going to say I'm going to take California for 200, Alex. Oh, jeez. Like the cuz the the football talent in California is still there. The high school yeah. talent is still there. Yeah, but the Pac-12 sure. you get I've never bought into this whole thing that the Pac-12 doesn't have talent. No, the Pac-12 is in a specifically California and even the Northeast, a football rich area, especially with the Pacific Islands and everything like that. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. You can get a lot of talent. The Pac-12 does not develop or do anything with their talent is the problem. Yeah. And they're yeah. letting the best of it go to other schools on the other side of the country because they won't lock down their, their ecosystem. Yeah. Pac-12, take this crap seriously. And I know that there's a cultural difference out there um, in the sense of like how football ranks and things, which, you know, maybe that's better for your everyday health. But like, I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, but Pac-12, if, if you don't want to become... I'm being, I, this is a bit hyperbolic, but if you don't want to become a group of five conference, like you need, you, you need to take this seriously. You need especially, to take this, this hire right now seriously. Like, especially if the rumors of Boise State joining the American come to be true. So, um, all right, that's it for quick hits. Not so quick. We spent like 25 minutes on that, but that's okay. Tyler, let's jump into the postmortem. Let's talk about the Cotton Bowl. Uh, Oklahoma beat Florida 55 to 20. Our our final ranking is the number 13 team in the country. Tyler, you said that you were watching this game earlier and that what you thought before going back and rewatching actually was what ended up happening. Tell me what it was so we can, I want to, I want to talk about this game quickly so that we can go into like the big scheme conversation. Well, it just, it's, it's, you know, I wanted to re re, uh, or re-centralize, re, 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 assert myself with the game flow and how it went. And like, I mean, like even Florida was down, three of their best players um th- th- i would argue they're three best players on offense um mm-hmm. and cal trash through three interceptions is the only game he's played in his florida career uh that he started that he did not uh, have a touchdown in mm-hmm. um florida was miss barely had enough numbers to play the game um they didn't they only practiced for uh, three practices beforehand they only had 10 days but they gave their guys off past Christ- christmas which we have, I we know people that have argued for and against that, and I'm not right. going to get into the giving your players off for Christmas. We're not going <laughs> to get into that. However, you, you, they did not. They came out. They came out flat. They came out un, unprepared. Not entirely their own fault because a lot of their guys were opting out. Oklahoma did not have any of those issues. Oklahoma ran, ran over and threw over Florida. Um, Florida's defense is already bad. Oklahoma's offense had figured it out at this point in the season. Additionally, this has been the tape ever since Todd Grantham got to UF. Um, if you're facing an NFL quarterback, Todd Grantham's defense ain't going to stop you. At all. The first two seasons, look at the losses, and they came to great quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. All of the And like bad quarterbacks or inexperienced quarterbacks or quarterbacks Todd Grantham can confuse with the blitz or with a pass rush that we actually had the last two seasons. Florida could play really well against those teams. Yeah. But like for, first year was there. Drew Locke carved Florida up because he, he mm-hmm. could get the ball where it needed to be. He was an he you know, he's not a, he's not a great NFL player, but that is an NFL caliber quarterback. Like mm-hmm. um Jake Fromm for always give he is super smart in that system. NFL caliber quarterback, Joe Burrow, obviously. Um yeah. then this year, that 
not only did that drop off, but I do think that Florida placed a lot better quarterbacks this year. Then you go up against Spencer Rattler, who I'm probably would think would be the best quarterback in the next draft class, which we'll talk about at some point this off season. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's not going to, this isn't going to cut, especially when you're down a bunch of players. Mm-hmm. Um, positives. I liked what I saw from Emory Jones. Um, Anthony Richardson looked great for, you know, being the first game he's actually like really played in. Mm-hmm. But this this was an exhibition game played at the end of the season. So let me and let me ask that, you about, let me excuse, ask you about that. that is just an explanation. Like so, that was my next question because Mullen and we've had conversations with multiple people from multiple different groups. Like we're not just talking about one group. We're talking about multiple people from multiple groups have said that you know maybe it wasn't the right mentality. I think one thing that Mullen said was the 2020 football team played its last game against Alabama. And while I don't disagree with that, I was going to say, while the sentiment, I think while the actual fact, I think I agree with because there were so many opt outs because it was basically the last quote unquote competitive game that you play. It's a question of, all right, well, we, we, we saw the we saw the presidential inauguration today and we saw the enormous Bible that Joe Biden swore on the tome, the tome. The- yeah. <laughs> and the uh, George R.R. R. Martin's final copy of his final book. Um I, no, but we we saw it, and the jokes were the book of Dan Mullen excuses, and I feel like at times it hurts, but it's true. <laughs> exactly. So, so how much of this was an excuse? How much of this was an actual reason? And moving forward, do we think that that will have an effect on whether the mentality or the the energy and the emphasis level, and and is that something that we want as a Florida fan base? Is that what we yeah. want as you know as fans? Okay, so yeah, a couple things about like mm-hmm. going from all aspects of that. One, it has been said on this podcast, and we still both, I'm pretty sure we still both believe it. And this is not necessarily an entirely bad thing, but Dan Mullen is an all time sore loser. Oh, all time. He he loves to win. Top he five. hates losing. Yeah. He hates losing. He and here's the thing: I don't, I don't disagree with any of the things that Dan Mullen said in the fact that they are the truth. Like the last real game that the real like 2020 team as like, we'll talk about in a second, how I'll remember them. Half those players were in this game. The identity of this team, like, yeah, teams are like 80 plus people, but there's also a matter of like some teams, their identity can be based in their players and like certain players. Three of the most important players, that the identity of this team is based on did not play in this game. Um, that's huge. And I think that I think that while that's true, that's not like that can be true. And I think we would all accept that as as the truth if he had not said it as an excuse. Like so because so you agree it, with the you agree with the statement in terms of yes, it was the last Yeah, no, I I totally do. Game, I, I really we, do. But maybe we can disagree and we, I just mean the collective That shouldn't yeah, that shouldn't be something that you say after being blown out fifty five twenty. And yeah. saying, "Oh, it didn't care anyway." It's a sore loser move. Yeah, and, and yeah, and something that I have a problem with we do in college football media mm-hmm. and just people thinking in general is that like we always want coaches and everybody to tell us the truth, and we tell and then when they tell us the truth, we get mad. Um, <laughs> so like, keep I feel that like in mind I feel like that's a, life that's a life thing. That's a that's a life thing. It's just it's definitely happening in sports because everything yes. everyone always wants to talk about is just like cut it with the coach speak, give us real answers, and then they give us real answers, and everybody hates it. Like yeah. Um. So well, it's just easier for coaches to go coach speak however i don't i mean like dan again like you said dan mall is an all-time sore loser i think that uh that's not entirely a bad thing you don't you don't want your coach to like losing <laughs> um <laughs> but it's 
it's not a great look and i i worry about it in the sense of like that kind of is the attitude that the team has presented later mm-hmm. in the season um and it's also it's also just one of those things where like it's it's just like when Dan Mullen was talking about uh the shoe the the yeet the cleat yeet when um mm-hmm. uh Marco Wilson yeeted the cleat yes um and he, he talked about it in the post game like didn't like he didn't know what it was or like that we were up that like we the the reporters and everything like didn't understand what was happening and he didn't see it right like that is something that is so clearly wrong yeah. Um, that's kind of the thing that he used in the, in this game, and I was like, "That's a problem." However, mm-hmm. I, I will offer another thing that it is not again not an excuse, but an explanation that like I don't blame the team, and I totally get this that like this coronavirus season, you just lost the SC championship. This, you're you're going to play as a top ten Oklahoma team, and you just want the season to be over. Mm-hmm. Like you just need to get through this game. I get it. And it, and that's the other thing you got to remind, because then you could flip it on the other side. It's like Oklahoma wasn't like that, um, and I get it. But as I've looked throughout the season, like there's some teams that just want the season to be over. Like I think I, I, we real quick we we yeah. talked a lot about like there are some teams that probably if you ask like everyone before the season wanted to play obviously, but there's some there are some teams and some people that I think you asked postseason the some teams would have decided not to. Mm-hmm. If they could, if they could go back and change the way things were, yeah. And I, this team wouldn't do that, in my opinion. But it is one of those things where, like, I don't think you can as appropriately ish, like, line up motivations this year as you can in other years. Everyone's playing a different schedule. Everyone's going through different things. Like, yeah. I don't know. Again, I don't want that to be an excuse. I'm just trying to provide context to what I think right. the situation might be. It it felt like a game they were just trying to get through because they they knew that they weren't going to win which is a terrible thing for you to have as a mindset. Mm-hmm. But then again, I don't know. So, so. I, I want I wanted to transition into the story of the season, right? What your story of the season you think what would be. And I, I'll be rude and I will start yeah, first, go ahead. first. I but just I talked think, for like five minutes. No, I know. But, but it, you know, new, new segment, new part, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I will remember this season by, I think I'll remember this season not only is the coronavirus season, Obviously, I think what we all will, but I will remember this season in part by, quote, if only we had spring practice, if only we had preparation, because because I think that a lot of the things that went wrong with this season in terms of mentality, in terms of reactionary, I think a lot of the things in terms of Grantham's defense they the they can be tied to missing spring practice. The Pandora's box, like, I think, opening moment, I think, could be tied to missing spring practice and summer camp, and the fact that Savage really couldn't be hands on with these guys in the yeah. weight room I, and and in that culture. Because we talk a lot about the Gator standard, right? Yeah, and I think the Gator standard is implemented in the spring and in the summer. I and agree. With every new batch of year, yes, you had your Kyle Trask, you had your Kadarius Tony, you had your um your Kyle Pitts, your Trevon Grimes, but these guys are seniors. These guys are guys that have understood it and clearly saw, hey, I have a chance to boost my draft stock exponentially on a selfish level and on a collective level, on a team level, we have a chance to do something serious. So I feel like the reason you saw most of that output and production from those kind of guys is because they already had that Gator standard ingrained in them, you know? It's just like, you think... 
you think if they're in if they're in the facility every in the spring and summer every other day and they mm-hmm. got the the Georgia loss or the LSU loss play on a repeat, you think that doesn't change something? I think, I think it, it does. does. And like I don't want to say that correlation is causation, but you look at a lot of the the issues that Florida has this year had this year. Most of them kind of all boiled down to two things, um, at least defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, one is scheme. And just the, getting your players lined up, and that's, that's on Grantham. That's ba- yeah, it's on Grantham. But a lot of that is basics, fundamentals that gets implemented in the spring and, and the summer. And then additionally, it sucks to say, but work ethic was a was a, was an issue for the defense. It was, it was, it was. It can all be boiled down to like work ethic, and it, mm-hmm. that's not the same for every player. Not every player had the same issue, but generally there was a work ethic problem in my, in my opinion. Um, and you look at Florida's other two seasons under Dan Mullen. I don't think work ethic has ever been a team problem mm-hmm. um, ever since that Missouri loss the year following. I don't think work ethic, ethic w- that Florida lost some games, but it wasn't because they didn't try. Correct. Like it, and even in for four times in the game, like Mullen's players quit in that Missouri game in 2017. Uh, sorry, 2018, but they had not, qu- they, they weren't quitting throughout the season. They, they didn't, have a lack of worth ethic in other games. So it's a matter of, again, correlation is not automatically causation. Mm-hmm. But you look at Dan Mullen's three seasons, the one season that he didn't have spring practice. Yeah. They had a work ethic problem. Or hands That's on not real, That camp. is not a overarching problem that was in either of the two previous seasons. Right. Agreed. In, in which case, I don't know if this is the case. You could argue that would have been harder to make, to have work ethic. Like the first season would probably have been hard to have a work ethic problem. And they did for a little mm-hmm. bit and they fixed it. Yeah. This season, the season you come back and you, everyone in the building probably feels that they could win something this year. This shouldn't be the year that you have a work ethic problem, right? So it's very possible that this is the. You're right that this is the year. What could have been if we, if we, if we had spring practice? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the issues of this team, especially defensively, were fundamental and not and, extraneous. Like right, right. And I think I think another thing that I think we'll remember this season by is is the defense. Unfortunately, and I'm and I'm doing the negative things first so we can end on a positive, but. Yeah, you know, the, the defense, unfortunately, and the entire, you know, we, we got third and Grantham a lot this season. We were not we got able... first and Grantham. We got second and Grantham. <laughs> we got fourth and Grantham. There ain't a fifth down, but we got fifth and Grantham, in my listen, opinion. Like, listen, I don't know how, you know, it, it happens, but I don't know if there's a way that we can a term we can come up with just the defense not being set on a no huddle. Every team saw film of us. And they said, "Oh, the everyone way to really exactly play. what to do, and exactly knew what to exactly do. what to do." Like, and I think unfortunately that's going to be a reason that we remember it by because, and I want to go into something a little bit more positive here, because we had such a good offense, yeah. because we had a Heisman finalist, because mm-hmm. we had two of the most unguardable offensive players in the country. Yeah, a big reason why I think we'll remember this season is, man, if only the defense could have could have X, Y, and Z. Yeah. yeah, and I, I I agree. And like odd thing also, just that I've always I've talked about Todd Grantham is that like, you know, you got to give his his teams credit because actually his defenses got better generally as games went on, like mm-hmm. within the game, like third yeah. quarter, they usually actually played a lot better, but they never played better at the beginning. And like, I never understood why they, that couldn't change. Like, yeah. what it's just like, I know I'm not a coach, but it's just like, well, what you're doing in the third quarter, why don't you just have them do that? the start of the next game like anyway it doesn't matter yeah but i mean honestly what i will remember this and this is a personal thing what i'll remember about this season was the georgia game mm. and again i attended the georgia game right 
and I wore my mask the whole time so nobody come at me because I was <laughs> I was being very responsible. But I attended the Georgia game with my father and to have it play out the way it did and Kyle Trask to throw four touchdowns, put drop 44 points, uh throw for like 474 yards, um absolute domination in the second quarter, kind of a lull of a th- of a second half, but it mm-hmm. wasn't ever really in jeopardy super like right. It almost was in jeopardy a couple times, then it wasn't. Well, that was and... that was just a great college football day for us because that was the day of not only we beat Georgia for the first time in a couple years and fantastic, we won the East. Um, but that was that also was... Th- that was also the Notre Dame Clemson Clemson game, game. Yeah. part one. And then you know on a on a political scale, our political leanings, you know, a bad day for others, but for us, a good day. Was... Pretty pretty solid. FSU also lost that day. So, FSU you know, also lost that day. So. You know, I get that. And and that was and that I think that was a moment where I think the next check mark is we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there in a bit. We'll get there in a bit. Um, well, but it, it, go ahead and continue. Of, it's part of like progressions, not into always linear. Exactly. That's because where I was the, trying to get to. This was the year. And this is what I always remember. This is the year that Dan Mullen got over the Georgia hump. Yeah, Florida won the East. Florida destroyed Georgia and won the East, and it was awesome to watch. And it no game, did, there was no game this season where Florida scored less than thirty points. Yeah, three years ago, I would have dropped dead of a heart attack if you told me that. Like, yeah. um, and, and I always wanted to remember that because I I remember being a junior in college and you were a senior in college, and we couldn't. It was it was we a suffered. challenge to score seventeen points. Like Tyler, I um, remember crying in the stands. You remember you were there with me. I, I was crying, sitting right next to you. <laughs> crying in the stands at the end of the FSU game, not just because we lost, but because I was like, wow, my last like Gator game as a student is this abysmal offensive performance. Like, it, So perspective. Yeah. And that's the thing, perspective. Because remember, at the beginning of the season, when we lost to LSU, right? Mm-hmm. During the cleat yeet, right? The shoe game. Yeah. What did, Ra- what did I tell you that Raul told me that I think still lingers in my head? Another reason, another how I'm going to remember the season, perspective. At the beginning of the season, what was the goal? The goal was to win the East and beat Georgia. And what did we do? We won the Both East and we beat Georgia. So yeah. again, linear, you know, and it, progression yeah. isn't linear. In this case, we got what our preseason goal was. And for that, we there should be some celebration. Well, and that's the thing. Like, progression is linear. In Dan Mullen, in year two of, of, Dan, of Dan Mullen's time at Florida. Mm-hmm. Florida got Florida progressed to the part where they they beat every team that they were clearly better than, yeah. and then they played you know tough games against teams that were better, that were more talented than them, and you know they didn't win both those games. They didn't win against LSU, and they didn't win against Georgia, but they played really really tough. This year they dismant they they destroyed Georgia, the only team the team on their schedule that clearly had more talent than them. Right, but they lost to LSU, a bad LSU team. They lost a very close game to Texas A&M. They, they regress in the aspect of of keeping ahead of your of the people above, below you. Like, they got they got see, caught looking. Uh, uh, yeah, it, yeah. I think and I still think that it's a thing. Florida's Florida. This this team is so interesting because this has been very different from a lot of teams that we that uh, we've had in Florida in a while. Is the sense that like Florida's here's it. Florida's spectrum this season was so vast. Yeah, Florida at their best this season in my opinion, it was a playoff team. Yeah. When Florida was playing at their best, they were playing as one of the four best teams in the country. I believe when they were playing the SEC championship, Florida's one of four teams, one of three teams in the country that had a shot to beat Alabama. Yeah. That was Ohio State, Clemson, and Florida. If the, if the, if all three of those teams played their best day, those mm-hmm. three teams had a shot. I don't think that Notre Dame would ever had a shot on their best day. And that that's the case. Like, however, 
Florida's floor was not good. Mm-hmm. It was undisciplined. It was it was chaotic. And usually Florida Florida spectrum as a team has not been that vast. Like right. Florida's kind of what they are. Um, they'll have slightly good games. They'll have slightly bad games. But their performances, like when Cal in in year two and year one, the performances are generally pretty consistent. Like mm-hmm. this year, the performances were so vast, so different which mean at their best and at their worst. And that is, again, I mean, that could have been, that might be something that would have been fixed in spring practice. Yeah. But yeah. It, it is a perspective because Florida progressed in the getting over Georgia hump, mm-hmm. but then they regressed in their consistency. Right. And, so, and, and I even think progression is not linear. So we'll see what this is. And I don't, I mean, we'll look forward to 2021 another time. But like, I mean, I don't actually think that this, I don't think this is, was the chance, and now the Florida's not going to be good next season. Yeah, I don't, I I don't think we had. Season, I don't think like, we had a one-year window and we didn't capitalize. And, and no, I not, think, yeah, and I think in a vacuum, and I know life and college football does not work in a vacuum, but just enter, uh, just uh, amuse me for a second. Oh, where, of course. Let's take our two most difficult games these past two seasons. This this year it was Georgia and the SEC championship game in Bama, yeah. and the year before it was the LSU game on the road and the Georgia game. You look at that, right? And you compare the two games we lost in those seasons, right? So LSU, we lost by it was technically four, four, fourteen, two, technically point, fourteen points. Mostly it a one-score was, game. It was mostly a one-score game. I think we were we were either tied or leading at halftime. Like, and it was yeah, it was clearly the most competitive any team played LSU during that historic twenty nineteen season. Yeah. clearly. And then this year, the loss was we played. We know we played in terms of a complete game. Alabama the best than any other team in the country and it was a one possession game and you think about it if we have you never know if we have 30 more seconds maybe something happens but we don't live in that world and I'm not going to go there but but I'm saying you know the one possession type loss and then you compare Georgia and what do we do we improved we we beat him by 16 points we beat him by 16 points the game wasn't in question after the first quarter quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah it wasn't in question and and you look at that and what did they do? They took advantage of a weaker Georgia team, a Georgia team that wasn't fig- hadn't figured out their quarterback situation, that Kirby was kind of playing around and messing around and stuff, and we capitalized, and that's what you should do. So I feel like when you take into yeah. a vacuum those two games from each season, we improved, and I think that's what you, I think that's the theme yeah. of the episode. Progression hey, and, isn't hey, linear. Hey, and-, uh, and you know it's a good point. Always good to bring up. Most coaches in their third year at a school take a dip. Most coaches do, and yep. I don't. Florida like half took a dip and half didn't like one side of the ball is the best it's been in a very long time. And the Mm -hmm. other was the worst it's been in a very long time. So like, it's almost like they kind of gave the dip, the the third year coach dip, like the cold, the shoulder a little bit. Tyler, this was, yeah, this was the seesaw season. Yeah. Seesaw season. This was a seesaw season because right way to put it when the offense was at its best, the defense was really bad. And the moments that the defense kind of, you know, showed up a little bit with making some stops. For example, at the end of the A&M game, in the third quarter of the Bama game, the offense made a couple of mistakes here and there that are normal, yeah. that are normal, that it's going to happen, but because we were the so dependent. For error, yeah, like, exactly. The margin for the error was so yeah, slim. And, and that, yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, like, I, the dip season is, is, is a thing that happens. Urban Meyer experienced this in his third mm-hmm. year. Ryan Day is probably about to go into one because he had Justin Fields for two years. Like, mm-hmm generally this is what you deal with and we shall see like so before we go into what we need to see addressed you know what we want to early look ahead for next year and also about gators in the draft another reason 
It's the Trask Heisman campaign. It's the Kyle Pitts being a monster. It's Kadarius yeah. Tony literally being a human joystick on the football field. And then unfortunately, the Cleet. I feel like those are the four. You're, I'll never be able to get over that. I don't think we ever will. And More I think, so, I mean, like maybe I could, but no one I know is going to let me get over it. Like, listen, and if we end up going to Louisiana for the LSU game with my cousin Vinny next year, <laughs> he's not going to let me live it down. We're going to go to the game. They won't let us. The fans won't let us. And neither, you, and they shouldn't because no, they should. I mean, like moment. we we still make fun of them for the stopping Darius guys at the goal line. Yes, like, exactly. That's what um, makes rivalries. That, 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 did you know? I actually looked this up because I was curious. Florida currently leads the LSU series by, I believe, 34-33. Like, oh, it's like that is even. how close it is. Let me let me let me double check. But I know it's like one game. Uh, apart. So while while you check that, I want to just take a second and you know how we'll remember the season story of the season. Kyle Trask for Heisman was definitely Thir- sorry sorry thirty three Florida thirty one LSU three ties in between. So it's thirty one to thirty three. So they're wow. two behind us. That's close. But enough. they're on a two two game win streak. Like wow. Wow, wow, wow. But yes, Kyle Trask. Yes. He was a Heisman finalist. We say all this. I would never have believed that Kyle Trask would have been a Heisman finalist. Oh, Like, never. really. Like, never. I'd been like, I could see it, like, in certain ways. But, like, I would have never have been like, yeah, he's a Heisman finalist, no, for no doubt. Like, yeah. And I think I think the what cements that is at the beginning of the season, we said, oh, Kyle Trask will be the quarterback. We thought he was the best returning one. We didn't think Emery had a chance to win the job. But it wasn't because, like, oh, Kyle Trask is a Heisman finalist. No, no, no. It was because... Dan Mullen doesn't like to go away from his quarterbacks. He no. has a system. It wasn't like we were, yeah, Kyle Trask is one of the four best players. It, it wasn't a conversation worth having because we know what Dan Mullen does, and Dan exactly. Mullen does not just bench his quarterback that he's been riding with. Like Exactly. exactly. He just doesn't do that, and he yeah. likes to develop his young guys. And, mm-hmm. like, yeah, so. so. I think that's, like, I, I think if we're going to talk about, like, and it, it was because the entire offseason, like, we all knew Kyle Trask would get the start, but everybody was just like, is that the right idea? Correct. People were seriously like, should we just start Emery? And then you come out and Kyle Trask played. I mean, I still think Kyle Trask, Mac Jones is the only other argument. Kyle Trask had the best sing, like season as a quarterback this year, in my opinion. Can I give you, can I give you the numbers? Go ahead. He was 301 for 437. His completion percentage was 69 nice nice. it's actually 68.9 but i'm just gonna round it now round that round that bad boy up it's nice it's nice he threw for 4,283 yards which came out to 9.8 yards per attempt and he had a 43 to 8 touchdown to interception ratio which if you remove the the three interceptions from the bowl game would have been a 43 to 5 touchdown interception ratio yeah that's, that's fantastic. That's amazing. Those like, are those are Joe Burrow you, numbers. Yeah, and and what I was going to talk about this when we get into Caltrass's uh, NFL draft talk, and I'll, I'll I'll mention it again when we do that. You don't accidentally score forty three touchdowns. No, like no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you do yeah. not. All right, man. Um, yeah, listen, I'll always remember that though. All right, as that was this season. Quickly, and I mean quickly, because I want to get to the draft stuff. Going forward. Right now, what do you see for next year? What do I? What am I projecting for next year? Yeah, well, what do you think? What do you think needs to, needs to happen? What are you projecting? Oh, okay. How are you? How are you feeling about next year in this moment on the day of our Lord, January twentieth, two thousand twenty-one? I mean, I feel like next year's team is going to be more like an eight and four, nine and three team. Okay. Like, I I don't think I don't think this team is going to fall off a cliff like I think some people might think it will. Mm-hmm. Like next year is going to be rough. I don't think that at all because I think that in this Dan Mullen 
I have no worries about Dan Mullen offensively. Like, mm-hmm. none at all. Like, I think Emory Jones will be fine with an entire offseason as the starting as the starter in practice. Better run game. Uh, the O-line's been developing, getting better every year, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Still a lot to concern with in, like, depth-wise. So, offensively, I'm not really worried. I, I think that the new style that they're going to implement will actually make it... It will make playing teams with lesser talent easier. Mm-hmm. because it'll be so run oriented right more balanced in that but it, it, it might be more difficult to beat the better teams and alabama's on the schedule next year so that's like an automatic loss um mm-hmm. and we'll see i i see like a nine three eight and four team depending on like how the ball swings okay um i think it'll be good but i don't think florida i don't think anyone really expects and i don't really expect florida to be in a playoff consideration next season like this was this was like you can kind of see these things coming like the the caliber of the team that's about to come back i don't think this is a i think this is a reloading year like but i think and but i but i think yeah that's mostly offense oriented defense right is a big question mark because dan mullen's retaining todd grantham and we know that dan mullen in the coaching circle is a bit of a curmudgeon and like it like he's he's not the everybody's favorite guy to work for um and i i'll say like i mean like the first two years todd grantham was in florida like the defenses weren't bad they were fine and the thing is like thought is that they could eventually get better turns out that i'm not really convinced that they're ever going to get better than they were fine the, those two years and they mm-hmm. were even good is really second really good a second year yeah but with i've you know you've heard rumors of new i like the new staff hires if they bring in some new people i've heard mullen's trying to get a co-defensive coordinator in that is a good way to, in my opinion, that's the closest thing you could do to just hiring a straight up new defensive coordinator. Yeah. Bring somebody else in who's a co-defensive coordinator. That's, I mean, if anything, that's very clearly like a Todd, you're not doing your job well enough. Correct. Like, right. Which case you should probably just fire him. But like, I don't, I don't know. He, I don't know. But we'll see. I mean, Urban Meyer being in Jacksonville is not helping Dan Mullen get people on the coaching staff yeah so, like it's not it's i've not won but at what cost <laughs> um well and, well, uh, maybe yeah. maybe there'll be some other gators joining uh urban meyer in jacksonville and let's let's quickly talk about these these gators in the draft and i think we can go from you put them in a certain order and i'm kind of assuming we haven't talked about it but i'm assuming that this order is probably the best prospects in order I mean, the it, the top four are ordered in the in the order that I think that they will go in. Got it. Okay. All um, right. After then that, below, then we below can... that, it, it's you're getting into late round stuff, and it really is depending on just who the team is. Like, okay. And so, we'll try to talk about where we see each of these prospects just for a little bit. All right. Like, so let's let's do thirty seconds on each of these guys, and let's let's see okay. what we're doing. We'll, we'll go more in depth when we project, especially these top guys. Um, when we do our actual draft coverage, but just because it's wrapping up, baby, and that's why we're doing. We're it. getting a little, closer. Little taste, a little taste. Little tastes. Let's start with the unequivocal best player on the Gators team in terms of pure talent. Uh, it's Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is number one. Tyler yeah. is the question with him isn't is he a first rounder? It's will he go in the top ten or not? Not even the shears of fate could prevent this man from going in in, in the first round. It is yeah. destined. Yeah. Um, I I don't see him falling past wherever the New England Patriots pick. Okay, which is fifteen. Yeah, but I mean they could trade back or whatever. But like mm-hmm. I. There's no way he falls past the New England Patriots. Okay. 
no. Yeah, no, not, I, not, I think they, there's just, and I know maybe that's completely based in falsity, but like everyone's looking at the Patriots and what they always like to be, and they're looking at Kyle Pitts, and they're looking back at the Patriots, looking at Kyle Pitts, and I'm like, just kiss already. Are you, are you, are you, just kiss already. Like, <laughs> uh, so, so we'll, I mean, we'll see if it happens. I think he could go top 10. I think what do you say? Easy. What do you say to people who I have had conversations with? that say it would be dumb for X team to take Kyle Pitts in round one because tight end shouldn't go until the third or fourth round. <clears throat> Racism. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, um, I don't actually think that's not actually what I'm trying no, to say. No, I don't, like, I don't think that's, that's nah, not with Pitts. No, I understand the sentiment. Mm-hmm. Why However, would you take a tight end if there's other positions? Well, because Kyle Pitts is not a tight end. He's a weapon. Exactly. That's, that was you my have to answer. Reframe, that you have to reframe how you look at this. You're not drafting Kyle Rudolph. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even saying like this is not a statement on how good Kyle Pitts will be at the NFL level. It's it's the way this way you would scheme with him. The way you're going to win with Kyle Pitts is by using him like Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Is by using him like Darren Waller. You're not like Kyle Pitts can block. He's fine as an inline blocker, but that is not the reason you're drafting him. You're mm-hmm. not you're not drafting him in the in the fourth because you need another body at tight end that can block and it's just like oh if they end up being a good pass catcher a plus for us like mm-hmm. but we need a new body no you are drafting him he's basically another wide receiver yeah. it's all about body type like yep. the ravens would be amazing to draft cow pits because they need a body type like this they need they need a chain mover yeah like you're not drafting him to be an inline blocker you're drafting him to be a weapon in which case in today's nfl where you need to score points mm-hmm. You it would be that. smart. Yep. I yeah. agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh next up, Kadarius Tony. Um, Tyler, are we rioting? I don't want to say rioting, poor choice of words with the recent events in this country. Um, are <laughs> we sorry, I just watched a whole lot of dude pol- political coverage today because of the inauguration. My dude. Mind. Let me rephrase that. All right. Don't hold that against me, guys. Um Kadarius Tony. Are we sending a strongly worded letter to the NFL when the Chiefs draft him, or is another team going to get him before the Chiefs? I think it's more people have been manifesting this, and and maybe I'm just I, I'm a nut and listen to a bunch of draft coverage. Mm-hmm. But I feel like everybody was just like, so one person started saying Kadarius Tony to the Chiefs at the, at the last pick of the first round, and then it started to go higher and can higher I, ever since. Can I give so, my Can I give my boy Day Day credit? He has been yeah. saying this since October. That's love he he has been grassroots. His takes are so out. Uh, like his takes are all over the place. But he, he is. Was, a, he's got some seesaw takes. But, but he like, was spot on with this one, dude. He was yeah, spot um, on with this one. I, I you know you know I think I mean I think they'd be he'd be perfect fit for New Orleans if they continue to do what they do. Okay, he'd be a perfect fit for New England. I know you would hate hearing that. I but would. Like, okay, I say this. Canary's Tony would be a perfect fit for pretty much most teams that need a wide receiver mm-hmm. because. He was such a gadget player for three years, and then he learned how to be an actual receiver. And he's still like, he could still be a gadget player, but he is a legitimate receiver now and a damn good one. Yeah, like, he is. Now he may not go in the first round. It really depends on what teams want, but I don't see him going any later than uh, early second. Yeah, me too. If if anything, I, I don't Just think with the he way makes it, with the way wide receivers are valued. Yeah, I don't like, think he makes it past pick forty. That's okay. to me how it goes. Um. All right. Next up, Kyle Trask. We talk a lot. We we text a lot about this off air. We this Kyle, the Kyle Trask where he should end up discussion. We probably have like twice a week, um, and I think we have both settled on we would like for him to go somewhere where he can learn behind a quarterback, and 
it's not the immediate pressure of someone like a Tua, like the savior of the franchise, someone like a Joe Burrow, yeah. so, someone like a Herbert from these past he years. You know what I mean? He needs to sit. He needs, he needs to, to sit, sit and develop sit. and anticipate. Because the way that Kyle Trask wins the football is with that processing and anticipation. Mm-hmm. He doesn't um, have a cannon specific, of an arm. Spe- it's like, specifically, it's anticipation and comfortability with his wide receivers. Right. He's not going to be able to. He is not going to be able to throw passes that that that. His arm strength does not provide him the margin of error that a first-round quarterback needs. Let me put opinion. it. Let me put it this way: Dan Mullen didn't fall in love with his arm; he fell in love with his brain. Yeah, I. I that is the great way to put it because yeah. I don't think Kyle Trask goes any earlier than the second. I don't think he goes any later than the fourth because quarterback desperation is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, he's going to go in the second or third round because he is. He's, yeah, he's either okay. he's either a late half of day two, third round. Or he's one of the first names called on day three with round four. In the last ten years, an average of six, five point nine quarterbacks get drafted in the first three rounds. Mm-hmm. Kyle Trask is the consensus QB six right now. Okay, so it's very likely he'll get drafted in day two. Mm-hmm. I I have texted you this, but I have not put it out there in the universe yet. And I'm putting it out there right now in the pod. My NFL comp for Kyle Trask is Dwayne Haskins. Obviously, not taking off, taking away all of the out of off the field stuff. Like yeah. that's not related at all. But like both not mobile, not the greatest arm strength. Fine for college, but not the greatest for the NFL. Mm-hmm. Remains to be seen if it has the threshold. They both were in pass happy spread offenses, coordinated by genius offensive minds of Dan Mullen and Ryan Day. Yep, with a bevy of elite weapons around them. weapons around them Dwayne Hassan said Terry McLaurin Johnny Dixon um KJ Hill and Chris Olave Jesus uh, oh, and Jake Dob- Jakey Dobbins was the primary running back what a what a weapon what geez, yeah like, like he he has nearly just as many we- it's, I mean and I'm Homer here but like he had just as many if not a little bit more maybe even than of weapons than than Kyle Jaskett. Yeah. Like, so it's very, to me, it's very similar. But like, Dwayne Haskins, I don't think was benefited from having to start in his first season. And none of us like that pick. And not because we didn't think Dwayne Haskins couldn't be successful in the league, but because we said the same thing about him when he was drafted. He needs to go somewhere to sit. And the fact that he was yeah. expected to be the savior of the Washington football team was, no. I think, had an effect on. I mean, the coaches life. didn't didn't want to draft him. They didn't want to draft him in the first round, and the management did it anyway. Because exactly. that's because Dan Snyder's terrible at his job. Right. Exactly. But, um, yeah, I mean, Kyle Trask, best place for him, in my opinion, would be New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Just just fitting what they currently are. Now, mm-hmm. if the Saints, if Drew Brees retires and the Saints don't want to be a quick game passing team anymore, they want to go back to having a big arm quarterback, this would not work for him. But Kyle mm-hmm. Trask needs to, I think, needs to go to a place where he can sit. He needs to go to a dome team, preferably a warm weather team. I don't like everybody saying you should go to Pittsburgh because I don't love his arm in Pittsburgh. I don't either. I don't either. Um, I think mine, mine, I think... Uh, I would like to see him on the Vikings. I would like to see him sit behind. As as much as we say Kirk Cousins isn't one of those elite NFL quarterbacks, I think Kirk Cousins is a good enough quarterback that uh, Trask Kirk, can sit Kirk behind. Kirk Cousins wins with his brain. Exactly. And I think it's a thing where he can learn how to do that so he can become a Kirk Cousins-like quarterback in the yeah. NFL. A journeyman yeah, I think Kyle quarterback. Trask can really carve himself out as a spot starter or yep. like a – not Super Bowl type quarterback, but mm-hmm. good enough. Like, or like that's a, or like a. Wow, I can't believe X team is winning with this guy at quarterback, which is fine. Yeah, that's a career. That's fine. That's money. That is a that's better. Good. That is a better athletic career than like ninety nine percent of people have. Exactly. Like, so no shame in there's that. There's a but. lot. There's millions of dollars in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, so all right, let's let's move forward. Next on the list, we have Trevon Grimes. Let me say this right here on the pod. 
Don't get it twisted. I'm coming in hot. Trevon Grimes is this year's Van Jefferson. A fourth round draft pick, third, fourth round draft pick that people are like, oh yeah, he was all right in college because he didn't get as much productivity and then quickly finds his way on a roster and every guy, every person in training camp is like, hey, we really like what we're seeing out of Trevon. Hey, we really like what we're seeing out of Grimes. Hey, this guy's a worker. This guy's a dog. All those talk in the preseason okay. from coaches, that's what I see coming out of him. I think Van Jefferson's a better player. I do obviously. too because Van Jefferson wins with route running. I think that's more applicable. Exactly. Um, Jerron and, Grimes. And I think Jerron Grimes it, is a fine. He's a fine route runner. Yeah. He's 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 a very he's developed very well as a receiver. Like the first year, it was like he's clearly an athlete. But and again, Felipe Franks was the quarterback and wasn't playing well at the time. But it's just mm-hmm. like it's very clearly an athlete. That's great. But like, how are we gonna get him the ball? Yeah. And then you look at this season where he's like a weapon. There is a um, reason he was a five star coming out of St. Thomas and yeah. he went to Ohio State. So, I mean, Trevon Grimes falls in the category that a lot of receivers fall into me in, in the medium category of, okay, you're picking in the second to fifth round. You need a receiver. Here's all these great college receivers. Just pick one. Yeah, like, yeah. he like, falls in there. It, that, that's, I have no projection of where Trevon Grimes is going to go. It's just going to be like someone's going to need a receiver, and they're going to be like, oh, it's the Florida kid. Yeah, let's get him. Yeah, like, yeah. that's how I feel it's going to go. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Evan McPherson, clearly kicker one. Oh, dead, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely um, kicker one, clearly kicker one. The guy, the, he came out early, guys. I don't know why. <laughs> you know what? I now I think someone was like, "Hey, look, man, the kicker class for I, I don't listen. I don't do much homework on the kicker class, but I think maybe someone told him the kicker class this year's weak. If you come out, you'll be the clear number one. You'll get the most money. Just do it. You probably have your degree already because." College athletes get their degree in three years because they have to be there over the summer anyway. That's that's definitely like like Trevor Lawrence is, is academically graduated. Yeah, exactly. Like they have their pieces of paper. So I think Deshaun he got Watson his degree. graduated in three years. Yeah, like, I think uh, he got his degree. Maybe the money's better this year than next year. Why not go for it? Let's go for it. I mean, if he gets get drafted, drafted, yeah, I think I think he's a clear six round pick. It'll be great. He'll get drafted. Yeah. Next up, we got Kyrie Campbell, the defensive tackle. Again, falling into a similar mold of like yep. solid college player. I mean, great college player. And it's one of those things like in the later rounds, I think that I, I mean, think Kyrie Campbell will get drafted. I think so, too. Because I also just one of the things like defensive tackles, a position where they're like, there's a million wide receivers every year, mm-hmm. especially now in today's in today's world. There's yep. a million wide receivers and running backs and there's a million quarterbacks. If, if you just had to pick a quarterback, there's probably 20 that are eligible this year. Mm-hmm. Like. Defensive tackle is a position that it's hard to. That it's like there's not often many of them. Mm-hmm. So I think that Kyrie Campbell will get drafted, probably I think in like so the too. fifth, sixth round. Yeah, I'm gonna put the next two in the same category: Stone Forsyth and Brett Heggie, the two offensive linemen. I feel I think like they made themselves some money this year. I agree. Right? That's what I was gonna say. I think they play themselves from undrafted free agents to like the sixth round, yeah, sixth maybe fifth round. And I, I feel like if teams are needing some depth, I think if teams are needing some big bodies that are smart and capable of throwing in there for a few plays a game um, or someone gets hurt to kind of fill in. I think these are your guys for cheap. And that's, to be honest, that's what the fifth through seventh rounds are. That yeah. That is that is like, I right, we're going to swing at some prospects that we like. And very rarely. And, ho- and hopefully hopefully some of them work out. Like There's a reason that Tom Brady is Tom Brady. Like he rose from, he wasn't supposed to become the GOAT, you know? He, yeah rose in that way and you never know what you can find in the late rounds but the majority of those players are gonna end up being these guys that are you know maybe journeyman players or maybe they're uh lifetime practice squad guys but hey get your money they got their degrees might as well go for it i feel like they both made themselves some money 
uh, on the line this year because the line did improve, and that's a sneaky topic that we didn't talk about much throughout the year. Yeah. But the line did improve from your the line. Yeah, the line did improve. And then we have Marco Wilson. I think he played his way out of some money this year. I, I agree. <laughs> this was a guy that I so drastically. I was so like, high on him. I, I I was thinking he could have been. A lot of people were picking. I don't know if they picked Sertan to be preseason uh, defensive player of the year, but I was like, "Where's the love for Marco in terms of cornerback play, whatever?" Because given when he had showed us years prior, you expected it to show up, and I think the fact yeah. that he played horrible this year and he was cut out of position so much and he well, it's got not beat. just that he played horrible; it's it's all the other stuff. Yeah, it's like throwing the shoe didn't help. Yeah, I mean, and, and just off. I mean, like not even off field, but just like. Like when you're on the field, like attitude things. Yeah. Like chomping at the Vanderbilt players when you get a stop when you when you got beat for a touchdown earlier in the game, which yeah. like and I get it, when you play cornerback, you have to have a confidence in yourself to mm-hmm. like to be able to play. Like that's your entire position is built on smacking the ball out of people's hands. Mm-hmm. Like saying you denied. Like so I get it, but it's I just he it doesn't back up the level of play that he had. Right. And, and I think and I think it's something that we've seen out of in the NFL love out of Quincy Wilson too. He's he's it's kind of been this thing of like, I am the best when dude, you're not. And like, it's a lot of, it's a lot of working out for Instagram and not working out to get better. Now uh, that's not an accusation. I don't think that's what they do. I think they actually do work hard, but it's that mentality is what I mean. You know what I mean? Agreed. So I think he went from a third round draft pick to To, uh, undrafted, undrafted free agent. So hopefully that kind of brings him down to earth and he can work his tail off at a camp and kind of make his way on the roster, but we'll see. We'll see. That would require. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. And, uh, quickly about the NFL combine, it has been decentralized this season. So it's not like we're going to have, you know, a few days, the combine. right? We're yeah. not going to have the combine, uh, workouts are going to happen on individual college campuses. So it's basically just going to be glorified versions of pro days. Yep. All interviews will be virtual. And they still haven't fit it, figured out how they're going to do medicals with team staff and stuff like that because that's a big reason why the combine is there. They're, all the doctors are there. Yeah. They can com- they can get all the medical information. Like 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 it's certified. Like exactly. I mean, it, universities lie about their measurements. Of and course. I don't really I don't really care. No, like do um, but uh, I Treon, say- Treon Harris was listed as six foot one. That's all. You, that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Buddy. Yeah. I'm six eight, man. <laughs> like I'm six five. <laughs> Let's do it. Forget well, yeah, it, man. Um, l- all right. Uh, I will say, Senior Bowl is still happening. Yes. Um, and that is very good. I love the Senior Bowl. It's a well, great the Senior Bowl it. is independent of both the NFL, yeah, and the collegiate place. It's its own independent yeah. thing, and they contract the NFL rosters and the NFL coaching staffs, not rosters, but the coaching staffs, to come in and do the work. So that's important yeah. to know. I believe it's the Panthers and is and it the, the Dolphins? Dolphins, baby, and the Dolphins. Ooh, interesting. But I'm I'm a little agitated because the room that include the the wide receiver, <laughs> the wide receiver uh, like team, quote unquote, that includes Kadarius Tony and includes a whole bunch of other really good guys is being coached by the Panthers, and the Dolphins got stuck with a couple of good prospects there. But most of them, I'm like, oh, these are like they, these are like round five guys, maybe undrafted free agent type guys and that's like, what your entire wide receiver core is made of right yeah now. dude i'm like what's going on but Najee harris did say he's gonna come and he is on the uh 
on the Dolphins coaching staff roster there. So I don't know nice why hard he has look. nothing to prove, but that's I think cool. I like, think it's I think he's going to get a week with the Dolphin coaching staff and get familiar. I think I think Tua made a phone call and said That's a good point. That's, that's good what point. I think happened. That's what I think happened. I think yeah. he made multiple phone calls and he said, Hey, hey, Flo. It's very possible. Take a look. And he went over to Najee and said, Hey, just go spend a week in Mobile, Alabama. It'll be worth it. So just do it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, no, no. He should come to he should come to Jacksonville. Anyway, and, uh, we're talking spell spell James Robinson. We're talking that's, that's a pretty deadly one two punch right there. I don't want to talk about this. Uh let's quickly okay, talk about happen, let's but... quickly talk about Deshaun Watson. Okay. There's been speculations. Free my boy. Free our boy. We're we are a pro free Deshaun Watson po- podcast, as you know. Um it looks like right now the favorites are the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Panthers. All because of both their current quarterback situations and or the amount of picks that they have. So clearly the Jets have a war chest of um, potential, I guess. They have the number two pick. They have the number two pick. They could trade that. They have future first that they can give up. And and the Jets and the Dolphins are actually in like the same position where they both Mm -hmm. have a young quarterback that they could trade to Houston. Like, so if you trade the second or third pick, Mm Mm-hmm. You're probably not including your your young quarterback. Maybe you are, but like you're trading that so that the Houston Texans can get a quarterback. Like, Correct. Um, because I don't think Houston's trying to get. They're not. They're not. Houston's not gonna. Okay, words. <laughs> Give me a second. Um, if Houston trades Deshaun Watson, which actually to me it seems more and more likely they might find a way to keep him. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'd be happy about it. But like, yeah, it's it's reported that the that the relationship is severed. Like it's reported yeah. that it's just not going well at all. Um, but Texans aren't getting out of this without one getting a young player back from the team that they trade Deshaun to a young quarterback back or two getting a draft pick that will put them in a position to get a quarterback and they want picks and they want picks like, like they don't have any picks because Mm. they're stupid. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, so which do you think is more likely the Jets or the Dolphins? I think the Dolphins. I have my take. I think the Dolphins really? are more likely. Yeah, because I think that they like, they like the idea of starting over with Tua. We can give them back, not give them back three, but we can give them eighteen. We can also include a first rounder the year after. So that's two first, Tua Tagovailoa, and I think we can throw in maybe this year one of this year's second, third, no like... one second this year and a second next year. Oh, wow. And I feel, and yeah, I feel like yeah, that would that do it. Sense. And we have the the assets; we have the capital to do it. The Panthers, I think, it's are a little. It's Deshaun Watson. It's Deshaun like... Watson. And listen, there's. I saw a meme on the Dolphins Reddit where it was like a three headed dragon, and like one was super strong and mighty, and it was like trade for Deshaun Watson. One was in the middle, uh, and it was keep Tua and get all the draft picks, and they were both strong one. And then there was like the baby cute cartoon, the one, derpy one, the derpy one, and that one was draft a quarterback in the first round. It was like, no, what are you doing? No, that's not well, what we do. <laughs> that, you know, that's that's from that's King Ghidorah from uh, Godzilla, exactly. uh, King of Monsters. Yes, exactly. In that movie, the left headed dragon is they the two others pick on him the whole time. <laughs> like, well, I feel like that's what's going on right now. So yeah, I, I think I, drafting a quarterback in the first round would be the dumbest thing ever for yeah, the Dolphins. No, no, like, no. Just, and, and I think so that's not happening right i think you've got you've got two pretty good streets to walk down right mm-hmm. now right like so because i i still i'm still live the camp and you are too i think that obviously like that you can win with tua like yeah i think so but if if deshaun watson's only gonna wave that no trade clause come to miami it's deshaun watson you have to do it like, exactly you have to give up those that 
the the capital, the assets to go ahead and make it happen. I think I don't think the Texans are as enamored with Sam Darnold. And I don't think and the Jets shouldn't be. And I don't think the Jets are too attractive of an of a location for Watson yeah. if he wants to waive his clause. See, okay, yeah. So from that angle, I get it why the Dolphins is way more likely because the Dolphins and Panthers are are both better win now spots than the Jets. I think so they're both Desha- better win now and win in the future spots. Good point. But my Deshaun will likely view them. Miami is the most attractive. Mm-hmm. Panthers is the second most attractive. Jets is the third if we're talking about these three teams. Mm-hmm. However, I think the team's willing to the the team itself's willingness to do this. I think the Jets are at the top of the list. I think Agreed. the Jets come out of this with just the Jets would be so willing to trade number two to get Deshaun Watson. Agreed. They're like, we could draft Zach Wilson or Justin Fields and be unsure about it the whole time and be unsure if they're even going to be better than Sam Darnold, who we already have, and what if we let him go and he's good somewhere else. But we draft Deshaun Watson. I'm like 99% positive that's going to be the better outcome out of all four of these quarterbacks. Yeah, like, I think so. And I like Justin Fields and Deshaun Watson uh, and and uh, Zach Wilson, but mm-hmm. like it's Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so the Jets would, would do this in a heartbeat, in my opinion. Mm-hmm especially running in a Kyle Shanahan style offense coordinated by Michael Fleur is, is what they're probably going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like to so the Jets would be the most willing to do it. The dolphins, I think they're in a tricky spot because then you have to be like, we just spent all this time developing to, uh... no, I think no, but I think, I think, but then the ex- again, it's I think Deshaun Watson, I think like... the explanation. And I think if there's media members or fans in the, in the area down here that are like, Oh, but what about the project? You guys promised this and that, whatever. I think Chris gear goes to the microphone, goes, it's Deshaun Watson and walks out of the press point. conference because See, that I, is reason enough to trade Tua for yeah. I love Tua. I mean, you know this. I'm, I'm all in the camp. You said it before. I think Tua could succeed. I think I think one day we can compete for championships with Tua Tagovailoa. This is Deshaun Watson. I'm not dumb. I understand exactly yeah. what the situation well, is. And and it's I mean, I even entertain it and I'm I'm stupid because like I mean I, I talked to my Alabama friend who is like I talked to him. He's like, "Well, if the choice is between Tua Tagovailoa and Deshaun Watson, like, I, I'm take." She looked at me like she wasn't even sure what to do, and I'm like, "You take Deshaun Watson, yeah. like." But she's biased. She's yeah, biased. she's now. She's biased. I know, I know. She's come now on. being, and I, 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 but I'm like, "Come on, Deshaun Watson carved you up for two years, <laughs> like." I don't, I don't know, uh, but yeah, I mean, the you you do this if you're the Dolphins. I don't think it's gonna get solved anytime soon. Neither do I. It's one of those things. I I feel like what's gonna happen is the Texans are gonna hire Eric Bieniemy just to, just to try to make Sean Watson happy. They're gonna it's accidentally gonna... hire the best court, the best yeah, head yeah, coaching. Yeah, yeah. we'll get into why all that's all sorts of messed up yeah. on another day because I've got time. Yeah, like um, oh yeah, oh yeah. But they're gonna hire Eric Bieniemy to make Sean Watson happy. It's gonna be too late for that. Mm-hmm. And then Eric Bieniemy is going to be stuck in a situation where the only the only attractive thing about Houston is that you had a top five quarterback. So there. you mean to tell me that Eric Bieniemy might be put in a position to fail? Oh, that's wild! Wow, Jack Jack Easterby, it's on site. What? Literally, it's hands on. Sell the team, like, Tyler. We need to buy the Texans. We need to buy the Texans. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Usually, you like. I don't know how much money you make in school. I don't, I don't make any money. I don't make any money. <laughs> Listen, I, I thought you usually you entertain me on these wild suggestions, but I, I guess not on this if one. If <laughs> I am buying an NFL franchise, I am not buying the Houston Texans. All love to the city of Houston. I actually do like the city, but like, um, <laughs> I ain't buying the Texans. Oh man. Well, all at least we know for sure. Get Deshaun Watson out of there. Hopefully, it's to a place where he succeeds and selfishly I hope it's to Miami. I'm not in any rush. 
the calendar year doesn't start till like mid March, so they're still they technically can't even make a trade till then. So yeah, but we'll see what happens. We'll see where it goes. Um, Tyler, I I think that's it for the pod, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, we will be definitely. You, you guys better like NFL Draft Talk because we're not going to stop because it's we like coming. it. Um, it's this time of year. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I just this is just not this is podcast related, just in the grand theme of college football to NFL. Uh-huh. Baker Mayfield played great this last weekend uh, in in the divisional round. Excuse me, sir. And that's that's the that's the tired thinking. Wired thinking. Chad Henney played the game of his life. We are both burned on Chad Henney. So. <laughs> I drafted Chad Henney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we signed him. <laughs> yeah, as a free agent. <laughs> See, you drafted him, and it was just like, he could be good. Then we knew that that wouldn't work out. And Jacksonville decided, nah, we could make it work. <laughs> um, no, uh, I mean, Chad Henney winning the game on a scramble is, is something. It is. Um, it but is. I... Yeah, I I think I only brought that up because I tweeted about this. Uh, is that like we just talked about Tua? Mm-hmm. The way Tua can win in the NFL is the exact way that play- Baker's playing right now. Baker has played Baker Mayfield has played excellent football the he last has. half of the season. He's played really good football mm-hmm. because he got back his best quality, which is decisiveness mm-hmm. and his and his trigger. That is the way Tua Tagovailoa won in college, and that doesn't come in the first six games of being in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you get that, I, I again, I feel like Tua can play just as well. So, yeah. um, I just wanted to say that shout out to Baker Mayfield because nobody gives him up, nobody gives him love. Well, he's not he's not the best NFL quarterback. I think Tua no. is is better than Baker Mayfield as both a college and NFL quarterback. But Baker Baker was something special. You know, I loved me some Baker that last year in Oklahoma. Man, woof. I'm Oof, I'm the one out here it. having a yeah like you you were you were the Baker Mayfield like well because ba- shaking Baker okay Oklahoma the Baker May- Oklahoma Baker Mayfield bruh bruh, bruh. Like, we've we've said it on the podcast before that uh, if they if they beat Georgia I think that they would have smacked Alabama this I, week I we are on record for saying that I think we agree. and and maybe either I'm stupid Georgia for saying Georgia that. let Bama come back into the game in that natty Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley would not have and let great that Oklahoma let Georgia get back into their own game granted but like. Yeah. Oklahoma would not have been able. Georgia stopped being able to score in the second half. Yeah. Oklahoma ain't having that. Oklahoma Baker Mayfield, Uh, Oklahoma, they ain't having that problem. With Hollywood Brown and CeeDee Lamb. Because Hollywood was a freshman. People forget this. Hollywood, or no, Hollywood was a sophomore. No, CeeDee Lamb was was a freshman. CeeDee Lamb was a freshman. Like, come uh, on, bro. And that was when Charleston uh, Rambo was was also a freshman. No, Charleston Rambo wasn't on the team. Oh, I thought he was a freshman that year. I, I think. He probably was. He might actually. have been a freshman too. That's what I'm saying. They I don't they know. Had these young they're all so guns. good. <laughs> and, and guess what? They're going to win a national championship this year. So Diego Diego uh, would love that. Um, I think that's going to be an O. It's going to be an OU Ohio State national championship. And then they're going to plant. They're going to plant the flag in the in the middle of. Ohio. Oh, oh god. <laughs> I think that's as good a place oh, as ever to end the episode. Boy. Tyler. We'll <laughs> okay. be back. We'll be back next week with our end-of-year awards episode. They are going to be some fun, funky, incredible awards that we are making up this coming week. I'm excited. Week. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Um, it'll be it'll be the button on the college football season, just like this episode was the button on the 2020 Florida Gators and our analysis of them. Um, we will be coming back with that. And then after that, we'll see what we do. We may be waiting until the end of the NFL season. Maybe we'll do a little bit of uh, NFL playoff stuff. Just just short episodes to see. And then draft season, baby. 
draft season. Draft season. We'll be coming in hot, coming uh, in with a lot of content there. Uh, Tyler, right. this has been another episode of Sideline Judgment. My name is Sergio. My name is Tyler. And we are not biased. Go Gators. Go Gators.